this should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to the Muscle Institute Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. And that is Under the Dome with CD right here. On Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully, you're having a great Saturday morning, getting the thing started off right. And, of course, it's a special time to kind of kickstart your weekend with Under the, the Under the Dome from 9 until 10.30, of course. We're talking about the LSU Tigers, Ole Miss Rebels, kind of bumping us out of the way, but we don't mind bumping out of the way, especially... Because in fact, we still have the show. It's going on today till 1030. And we're coming to you live, as always, from the 1037 The Game studios. And if you want to call us up, the 1037 The Game hotline is wide open. 337-706-0111. And I'm looking forward to this show. Obviously, because I can just spend a good bit of time talking about what's causing all this. And there's a lot of things that we can dive into here. We can dive into everything that's been going on with the Saints. We'll talk about that probably later. Dusty Baker, college basketball, the Super Bowl prop bets, and who knows what else. But you know what? Why not just kind of get it out of the way early and give you the keys to the keys to the game for both teams in the Super Bowl 54, or if you're a big fan of Roman numerals like I am, L-I-V. We're living it up and talking about Super Bowl 54 and the big keys to the ball game. More importantly, prediction for me. I'm giving that to you right out the gate here, and then we're going to have a lot of fun later on in the show. But in the meantime, let's get to the keys for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, right. I'm going to knock that chest off. <laughs> Uh, I haven't had it yet. I'm sure, you know, it'll probably come at some moment. Uh, usually the nat- national anthem is when, uh, you know, really start to get locked in and just uh, everything kind of starts to settle down at that point. So it's um, it's kind of one of those things, I guess, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It'll be a great challenge for sure, but to say it's the greatest challenge would, would almost to be disrespect some of the some of the great passing games that we've played because we've played some outstanding passing teams this year. We played the Saints and, and everything that Drew Brees had had to bring. We played Tampa Bay and and early on in the season with their two thousand yard receivers and everything that they brought. We played the Rams and, and Sean and his system um, and how they get things done. We played a Rod twice. Um, we played some played some teams that that can sing it around pretty good. I think anyone can learn just a lot of stuff from that game. I mean, no matter how much you get up on someone, um, you got to keep moving the chains to keep the ball from going back. So you better convert a third down or do extremely well in first and second down. You're going to keep giving it back to them. Um, when then you're playing as a quarterback like Tom Brady, you got to do some things to get him off the field also. So uh, he was unbelievable in that game, as good of any quarterback I've ever seen play a game. And he's had a lot of good ones. But the way he was on third down, the way he was just automatic, I thought our coverages were tight. And he still seemed to hit everybody. Some of the sights and sounds concerning those San Francisco 49ers heading in to the Superb Owl. But here's some of the big keys for me for those for that team in the city by the bay. Starting off, Niners D-line is definitely going to be huge. The pass rush is going to be absolutely crucial. D-line has had nine sacks in the postseason, six alone in the, in the divisional round against Minnesota. Casey has only had one sack in that 11-3 matchup versus Minnesota. But at the same time, the offensive line has definitely held up quite nicely in the last two ball games, only allowed two sacks, and that was against Tennessee in the AFC title game. I think that's going to be one of the more interesting matchups because that pass rush is quite relentless and quite strong. I think we could say the Niners' pass rush, a big key for them. Uh, on the offensive side of the football, I think where's George Kittle at? 
Where is he? Cat's been on a milk carton. Four receptions for 32 yards. He was only targeted six times in the playoffs. And only had one reception against the Packers. Remind you, he only threw like, what, 12 passes last week? I think he's going to be something. Can the former fourth-round pick out of Iowa have a big night? I think he will. He is like his buddy Pentagon Jr. He'll have zero miedo. That means zero fear, people, when he goes out on the field tomorrow afternoon at 5.30 in the 3.05. The other big thing is, can Raheem Mostert duplicate success from NFC title game? Radio Raheem Mostert has definitely broke out in a big way in the NFC title game. Over 200 yards. And he isn't looking for 20D batteries like he's in Do the Right Thing for that boombox. Instead, he'll be looking for the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the day. I'm looking forward to see what he can do. He'll be playing against a run team that wound up like holding Derrick Henry to a nice 69 yards in the AFC title game last week. But they're still 26th in rush. If you look at the statistics, Mostert could have himself one hell of a day against this, against this defense if they're not up to the challenge. And then what's Kyle Shanahan's game plan? That's the biggest question I think we have of it all, is what's he going to do? It's basically, like Tupac said, how do you want it? And I think you look at it. The 49ers have shown that they can beat teams in more than one way this season that no one saw coming. I thought they made the postseason, but this was a little bit higher than some of us expected. For me, I'd presume it would probably be a 60-40 offense with the run being the 60 it's a ticket for the Niners in this superb Owl 54. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what's going on with those two franchises. I think this is a big key to try and come away with the win if you're Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy G, and crew. And with that in mind, let's kind of keep it going and flip over to the Kansas City Chiefs. No matter how many times you're here, you have to take in the moment and enjoy it. I mean, I was saying with my mom, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I hope I have a lot of times. Some of these guys have won championships their whole life. National championships, high schools, player of the year awards and stuff. I've never had nothing. So my fire is a little bit different than theirs, you know. What I'm working for and what I'm working to is a little bit different than theirs. They've had all this glory and all this, you know, all these lights and stuff like that. I'm not working for, you know, the glory and the lights. I'm working for the glory. I love the glory, though. Don't get it twisted. But it's the lights and all the, the extra stuff I don't really care about. I care about winning football games, and I want to be a champion. When we came up short last year, we, we, none of us, I mean, it kind of fell on D, but it wasn't D at all. It was all of us were four inches short. Four inches short last year. Now they're 60 minutes away from winning their first Super Bowl, and it's absolutely amazing. Tyran Matthew, big X factor for this ball game. The Honey Badger can take what he wants. I'm looking forward to see what he does tomorrow afternoon. He's going to be a huge part of this team's success, especially on the defensive side of the football. Can he get some picks from Jimmy G? Kelsey versus Sherman, as you heard earlier, when I was talking about the keys to San Francisco, you heard Richard Sherman, a man that was a former Seahawk and definitely bettled himself. He talked about how he's not scared of this offense. I have to agree with him. I think he's definitely played some really good really good offenses. But Travis Kelsey is on another level. I think this could be one of the big matchups that you need to key in on tonight or tomorrow night. Can lightning strike thrice? The Chiefs won the previous two playoff games after being down by double digits. You heard me right, by double digits. Can they do it again and do something that's never been done in the playoffs and win all three games after being down originally by double digits? Easier said than done against a team that is definitely highly motivated to try and avoid the 28-3 talk in 2020. And finally, the offensive line needs to keep Pat Mahomes clean. He's been kept in check, as I mentioned earlier, only two sacks in the postseason. But this pass rush for the Niners is relentless. It's absolutely huge to try and stop them. That being said, here is my prediction. We're going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs 38-31. we got Nick Winkler joining the program next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. 
Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah! On 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 1037 The Game studios. Hopefully, you have a great Saturday afternoon. And, of course, we need to kind of get things kick-started off right. And we play the Tupac for a reason because we're going over to the west side, which you and I both know it's the best side. To get a little perspective on the San Francisco 49ers ahead of Super Bowl 54, or if you're a Roman numeral fan, LIV. And to do that, we go over to the game hotline right now. Nick Winkler, a contributor for the Locked On 49ers podcast. Nick, what is going on, man? Well, it's Super Bowl Eve, man. So I'm over here just uh, counting my chickens. You know, the quest for six is underway, and uh, 49ers coming in with defense that I've been calling all year championship defense and they're, they're uh, one step away from proving me right you got all the doubters out there I mean really you, you look at all of these so-called experts that you know probably have only watched highlights of the 49ers this year and everybody's picking the Chiefs and you know what I am very much okay with that give those 49ers some bullet, bulletin board material put it up in that locker room and, and get these guys ready to go come tomorrow it's going to be a fun game tomorrow afternoon. You'll hear it right here on 1037 The Game, thanks to What's Woodwood's coverage of the NFL. But, Nick, before we kind of get started looking at breaking down the X's and O's for these San Francisco 49ers, did you see this coming at the beginning of the season? Like this magnificent run, 13-3 and in the regular season, making it to the Super Bowl for the first time since the Niners-Ravens game. Did you see this coming? Obviously, I didn't see this coming. You know, I... I... I definitely, I had them at 11 and 5. You know, we went through and did all of our preseason picks and everything. And, and I sat down and I, I liked the Niners' chances. You know, you, you're coming into year three here of the regime under Shanahan and Lynch, and they, they've got their guys in place. And that's what's most important for them is, is Shanahan has a scheme that he likes to run, and he has a certain type of player that he likes. He likes speed. He likes versatility. He likes a fullback that can play wide receiver. He likes a tight end that can play running back. He likes wide receiver that can play anywhere on the field, and, and he's got those guys. And they went out, and they got some rookies that fit in. Yeah, Debo Samuel didn't seem like the best pick there. Everybody's like, why didn't they grab D.K. Metcalf? Because like, he didn't fit their system. He, he wasn't their guy. And, and, and early on, you could see it. You can see the confidence in this team. You can see it build each and every week as they kept winning and winning and winning and winning. And they they weren't just winning close games either. They they were blowing teams out. And yeah, I'd love to say that I sat here and said they're going to be Super Bowl champs coming this year, but I definitely had them go to the playoffs this season as, as we headed in. That's kind of where I was as well. I think a lot of it has to do with Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, right out right. the gate. Like whenever I saw. Can we all admit that John Lynch may be the smartest guy in the room? After all, kind of you look at how things were. John Lynch takes over as kind of the big cat in that franchise, and overnight you see everything start to turn around with the with the Jimmy G trade and everything. It's like John Lynch has to be the smartest man in the room that nobody knew about. Well, what's funny is you say that is John Lynch should be the first person to tell you he's not the smartest man in the room, but but he surrounds himself by the smartest people in the room, and so I guess in essence. That does indeed make you the smartest man in the room if you're going to hire the best people. You know, he, he admits that he knows what he doesn't know, and he'll go out here and hire the best person to come in and do that for him. And you got to love that, you know? I mean, you saw signs of it early on last season, too. And then Jimmy G got hurt, and then the wheels fell off of this thing. And so yeah, I, I, the Jimmy G trade was huge. You know, getting Shanahan was huge. They, they, they've taken the steps. They've done what's necessary to get where they are right now, and it, for my money, you know, I'm a 49er fan. Obviously, I'm, I'm biased here. I, I've loved this team since, since 1989. But they're the best team of football, top to bottom. And I have to agree with you. Everything that they have at this point in time, by the way, talking right now with Nick Winkler, contributor for the Locked On 49ers podcast. And I think without a doubt in my mind, they're probably one of the best teams top to bottom. I think one of the big things that I've noticed is Quan Alexander, who everybody knows in this neck of the woods, former LSU Tiger, also mm-hmm. previously a Tampa Bay Buck. How big has having the former LSU Tiger linebacker back on the defensive side? Because he wanted to be able to deal with a lot of injuries, but was able to come back for the divisional round and onward. How big has he been? 
Yeah, I mean, when he went down, it, it was a bummer because he was a big acquisition in the offseason, and he came out on fire, and you know, he got kicked out of that first game you know, for, for the illegal hit. And you're thinking, oh, no, I, I love his energy, but it's going to be like that every week. And then he came out a little more subdued week two, and he really brought it week in and week out. And, and everything you hear, too, is even when he was out, he was there, and he was still a leader in that clubhouse. No matter what was happening, that guy was around. He was getting people pumped up, and he did everything he could to get back on that field and and it's great it is amazing having Quan alexander back in there 56 on that defense it's it's a good feeling knowing he's going to be in there right alongside fred warner for my money i'll take those two at linebacker over any other squad in the league and i i've loved what i've seen from Quan alexander this postseason as well and kind of flip it over to the offensive side of the football and i think one of the biggest things that i've just noticed is george kittle probably one of my favorite players in the league outside of obviously over here in the heart of the Saints fan base. But I think when you look at George Kittle, how can you not love the guy? But he's definitely kind of been MIA, almost on a milk carton during the postseason. Only one reception in the NFC title game. Then again, there were only like, what, 12 passes thrown in total against the Packers and only three receptions against the Vikings in the divisional round. What's been the biggest reason why he's been kind of like MIA lately? It's because they're running the ball. I mean, he, he's probably the best uh, blocking tight end in football. And you'll, you'll hear him. I don't know if you, you watch any of the mic'd up stuff, but when they were running the ball over and over and over against the Packers, they showed him and he pancakes somebody. He gets up. He says, let's run it again. You know, he doesn't care. He's not all about those accolades. He wants to win football games. And if you could run the ball, you know, 45 times and defeat a team that way, that's humiliating for an opposing defense and for an opposing team. And that's quite the way to win. And, and you look at the games where, the running game isn't working very well during the season, and Jimmy G's got to go out there and throw. The guy gets it done. And, and Kittle, if he needs a go-to guy, that, that's the guy. Kittle's going to get open. Even if he's not open, he's going to make a play. There's been probably ten times this season where Jimmy G didn't make the best throw, probably forced it into Kittle in double coverage. Kittle goes up and just knocks the ball down because he doesn't want to give up that interception. I mean, he's, he's that all-around tight end, that leader on your team. And you said it. How could you not love George Kittle? And, you know, I guess it's for me talking right now with Nick Winkler of the lock, contributor for the Locked On 49ers podcast. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he just loves him some pro wrestling every time the first <laughs> down paying tribute to Pentagon Jr. with the Cerro Miedo, which for those who don't speak Spanish is zero fear. Absolutely. I mean, like this guy's just an absolute character. Last year, he kind of was starting to make waves. But this year, it's like you just know this guy is loving all the attention. Yeah, I mean, last year he broke the NFL receiving record for tight ends. I mean, you're looking at a guy here who was a fifth-round draft pick. You want to go back to, to Lynch and Shanahan and their genius. I mean, they found this guy in the fifth round. Are you kidding me? You're looking at probably the best tight end in the NFL. He's young. He's just in his third season. This, this, is, this is a great story. He's, he's exciting when he's got the ball. He's exciting when he doesn't have the ball. And he's putting a defensive end on his back. I mean, this is it's funny, too. Some of his interviews so far during uh, Super Bowl week, his biggest highlight so far was meeting The Rock. I mean, you're right. He's a big wrestling fan. Well, like you're out in Miami, you might as well meet him and probably Pitbull as well just to kind of complete the 305 kind of dynamic duo over there. But, <laughs> there man, go. like we got to kind of talk about as well. You brought up the run game earlier. I think, obviously, the biggest player that's kind of come out of all this was somebody who, obviously, nobody really knew a whole heck of a lot about and that is Raheem Mostert. The guy was just out of nowhere. He kind of burst onto the scene in that NFC title game after what we saw with a lot of injuries to that running back core. But, man, Mostert definitely kind of was shades of Greg Jennings, putting the team on his back, though. Yeah, what's funny is uh, is last season, towards, towards the end of the year, the 49ers running backs just kept going down, going down, going down. And this guy was a special teamer. He was the fourth running back on their depth chart, and they had to give him the ball at one point. And you see it, and you're like, whoa, 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 what's this? Who's this guy? So coming into the season this year, you're like, okay, yeah, hey, don't forget about Mostert. You know, he, he's fourth on the depth chart right now, but watch Mostert. Okay, McKinnon's out. Now he's third on the depth chart. Okay, Breida is injured, as always seems to happen with Matt Breida. Okay, now he's number two. Oh, look, he's Stelman Coleman. Oh, look, Mostert's not coming off the field. He, he's an exciting player, and what I like most about most of you can talk about his speed, you can talk about his footwork, all these things that are, are great and necessary for a running back. My favorite thing is his vision. He's very patient. He gets back there, he waits for that hole to open up. Boom, one step, he's gone, which is so important to this Kyle Shanahan offense. I'll go right back to it in his scheme. And he gets guys. That's why he brought in Tevin Coleman. 
Because in Atlanta, he ran his scheme, and he's a one-step-and-go kind of guy. And that's what Mostert is. And you saw it in that NFC Championship game, and hopefully we're going to see a lot more of it in the Super Bowl. But that's just it. It's not just him. Breida might get hot, and then we'll see a bunch of Breida. Coleman might come back from that shoulder injury. We might see a bunch of Coleman. They might come out and throw the ball 50 times. It's whatever's working that day for Kyle Shanahan, he's going to go with it. And that's, that's the genius of Kyle. And that's what I'm thinking. It's just like everything that Kyle Shanahan's been able to do, because we talk about it all the time over here, is like because we've been talking about it for the last two weeks, the fact that they were able to just run the football at will. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we see it be more of a, I'd say, 60 40 run type game instead of it being, oh, hey, like in the third quarter, only throw like one pass in the entire quarter. I think we could very well see this thing kind of fire off on all cylinders, but in your mind, Who's the biggest X factor? Be it offense, be it defense, even special teams. Who do you think is the big X factor in this ball game for the Niners? It's the guy we haven't even mentioned yet, and and he's going to be rookie of the year. And, and I'm talking about Nick Bosa, and I'm talking about a guy that is a franchise changer. He came in, and you you got to you got to take account of him. You always got to know where he is on the field. You got to send two guys his way, and that clears up Armstead. Eric Armstead had the best season of his career. He's going to make himself a ton of money in the offseason as a free agent because. He's opposite Nick Bosa. Bosa gets all that attention. Now you got D Ford out there fully healthy as well, rushing the outside. It's going to be a lot of Bosa, a lot of stunts with Bosa. It's going to be if he can smack Patrick Mahomes in the mouth and really just make him think, where's Bosa, where's Bosa, where's Bosa, that's going to take him out of his game. So I think if you see something early from Bosa, you see a little hit on Mahomes and he gets a sack. Maybe it's not even a sack. Maybe it's just the pressure. Maybe he hits him a little bit. That's really going to disrupt that, that Kansas City offense. So for me, it really comes down to that defensive line and especially Nick Bosa. Nick, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll be talking to you down the road, and hopefully you enjoy the game on Sunday. Sounds good. Yeah, go Niners. Go Niners indeed. Mind you, I'm a, in case you didn't hear the last segment, I'm going to go with those Kansas City Chiefs. That's absolutely, just absolutely awesome. Loving what's going on with the Super Bowl 54, and I'm going to talk a whole lot more about it later on but we're going to take a quick time out and we come back we got a whole lot more show left for you of course we got greg peterson at the top of the 10 o'clock hour because we're cut short due to what's causing all this and what's going on with lsu basketball and old miss pregame at 10 30 tip off at 11 you're listening to under the dome with cd on acadiana sports station 1037 the game Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Listen, I've had a process, you know, each and every offseason, and I don't want to take it for granted. I also don't want to just kind of jump to conclusions. So, man, this season ends, and it's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to take a deep breath here. I'm going to just enjoy some time with my family, and I'm not going to make any decisions. I'm going to give it a little while here and let everybody know where I'm at in a few, in a few weeks. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom and, you know, before I get back to the talk about Drew Brees, because I feel like it's time to kind of dive into that a little bit more because Radio Row has definitely kind of taken over the world of the NFL and kind of made the Saints storyline definitely pop a lot more in the headlines, at least for me, stuff that I was able to kind of catch up on over the last 24 hours because it's been just a whirlwind to see all the people that have made Radio Row hits, especially yesterday because you had Joe Burrow on Dan Patrick, Drew Brees on Dan Patrick, you had Taysom Hill on Rome. I'll play a soundbite from that in a little bit. But, I mean, there's something that popped up a little while ago that's relevant to LSU fans out there. Keep an eye on this. This is kind of just keep tabs on with Dante Starks. It just came out a few moments ago, in fact, during the commercial break, and that involves freshman linebacker Dante Starks. He is actually suspended indefinitely from the football team. Ed Ogeron announced this. Due to, you guessed it, violation of team rules. No, it's not you guessed it, Frank Stallone. The Marrero product is suspended indefinitely due to violation of team rules. You can kind of 
fill in the blank and figure out what he's talking about. But still, really going to be interesting to see what happens there. Once again, kind of some breaking news right now. Dante Sark suspended indefinitely. Freshman linebacker out of Marrero. A play to John Errett. He's out for the rest of the season. Nothing really new from there. Like nothing big from that front to really like worth continuing to talk about that subject. But of course, I'm here to talk about what's causing all this, and everybody is asking me on a regular basis, what's going to happen with Drew Brees? What's going to happen with Taysom Hill? What's going to happen with Teddy Bridgewater? You have three quarterbacks in that room, and all three of them each have a solid case of staying or going. Me and Rawls Jackson talked about it after the season ended. Who would you keep? out of Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Brees, and Taysom Hill. For me, I've talked about it many times, that you need to back up the Brinks truck for Bridgewater because he is the guy that's going to lead you to a promised land in my mind. You have everything set up. You have everything ready to go. You put a guy in that position as opposed to maybe a Taysom Hill. And I have nothing but love for Taysom Hill. In fact, I absolutely loved this conversation. I was listening to Jim Rome. And he had Taysom Hill on, and it was really cool to hear him talk about the decision that Breeze is going to have to make this offseason. And does Breeze still have it in the tank? And Taysom Hill kind of told it like it was. Uh, you know, we, we've had a number of conversations. You know, um, I, I think he's always going to want to play. You know, like internally, he's always going to want to play. But as you look at a season the time and attention it, it takes from your family, from you personally, emotionally, the energy that you put into it, it's taxing, you know, and, and I think that's that's what he's going through. And, and that was my comment to him was the, the question for you is not if you can play, because I think Drew can play for a really long time. And as you look at his 2019 season, an amazing year, highest QBR of his entire right. career, you know, and you look at how efficient of a player he is and and what a lot of people don't realize is what the coaches ask him to do week in and week out. If you knew the intricacies of our game plan and what they ask Drew to do, it's it's crazy. And as, as a backup quarterback, as you're in the QB meeting, as you're looking at all this stuff, you're like, oh my gosh, like... Drew, you got to stop doing this because now they're putting all this on us. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> they expect me to do the same thing. That's right. And so I, I think that's what a lot of people don't really appreciate, you know, that goes on behind the scenes with him too. But, um, man, I, I, I really is, is you know, his biggest fan. I, I, I hope he comes back. I would love to play with him again. And it's really been a highlight of my career playing and learning from him. And it's great to think that a – Taysom Hill wants to play under Drew Brees for at least one more year. It's definitely a little bit of Kansas City model type thing. I, I absolutely love the idea of the Kansas City model. We've seen what happened with Pat Mahomes. Within three years, you're in you're in the Super Bowl. You're in contention. Seemingly going to be year in and year out. He has a chance to solidify himself as one of the all-time greats. But when it comes to Taysom Hill, it's a little bit different. Yes, the Kansas City model is a... Really good thing. I think you want to saying, you know, we can say that the, this is a smart idea for the long run. But at the same time, I feel like to a certain extent, this Kansas City model. What is the Kansas City model? Well, we're talking about when Pat Mahomes was sitting on the bench waiting for the Chiefs to trade Alex Smith or get rid of him. And they wound up getting rid of him. That's kind of basically what the Kansas City model is, Mike Francesa. That's a long story short, and we love giving you a hard time about it. But my my whole thing is, when it comes to the future of the Saints and this franchise, has to do with the fact that I think the model that they want to use and emulate, and try, because it's a copycat league, it always has been, always will be a copycat league, is the fact that we're looking at the New Orleans Saints kind of set themselves up for something weird. Because I think you put Taysom Hill out there as a starting quarterback in 2021. Ideal, that Hypothetically, that would be the time. I know Drew Brees says he'd love to play till he's 45, but honestly, I think 42 is probably going to be the closing time. I think then you have his wife basically say, Honey, you need to hang it up. Like you still got it. Don't get me wrong. But I want you to be around for the kids. I want I want you to be around the kids when they're playing football in middle school, high school, 
And Kyle, Joel, I mean, you've missed out on all these moments. I want you to enjoy seeing these kids do what you love. I want, I want you to see these kids do the thing, do their stuff. And it's awesome. I absolutely would think that'd be a great idea. But at the end of the day, I'm not Drew Brees. I'm not his family. I'm not his agent. If you're Drew Brees, you've got to be thinking, hey, I've got probably one more shot left in me to try and pull this off. To try and do what they've been trying to do for a long, long time. And maybe that curse of the postseason ghost has been lifted off of the Saints after what happened in January 13th when LSU finally won a national title for the first time since 2007. I think maybe that, that window is a little bit more open if Drew Brees is willing to be in there. Because, again, you want short-term success if you're a Saints fan. Personally, I'd much rather long-term success. I'd say Drew Brees retires, you put Teddy Bridgewater in, and the thing is seamless. You keep Taysom Hill as Taysom Hill, and I think you can do some really great things. Because we've seen Teddy Two Gloves undefeated as a starter last year. He helped keep this team relevant. I can remember right out I was at the Twin Peaks. I hosted a Twin Peaks watch party for the Saints Rams game when Drew Brees broke his hand. I can immediately feel the vibe of that place, the establishment, be down, down in the dumps. I cannot tell you how sad it was to gotta be there and see everybody moving around because that looked like the season was over. After two weeks of the season, it looked like it was gonna be over because Drew Brees was probably gonna be out for six to eight weeks. Teddy Bridgewater looked like a fish out of water. I think you can say that that was a moment where people were definitely concerned. But then Bridgewater turned it around. I think the future quarterback for the Saints should be in a guy like Bridgewater because he has the opportunity to do some amazing things with all the talent he has around him. Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, the list can go on and on and on. Who knows? You could probably wind up getting a solid wide receiver. I'd say maybe get a Justin Jefferson, a Stephon Sullivan, something along those lines to compliment a guy like Jared Cook, because if you have two really solid tight ends, brother, you're going to have a lot of fun with those guys. I think they'd be absolutely huge to get somebody like a Stephon Sullivan. Hell, if you get a Justin Jefferson and a Michael Thomas and get rid of Ted Ginn's lazy ass, I think you'd wind up talking about possibly one of the best offenses in co- in pro football, actually. be a pretty damn good college team, but still, all around, I think that's the one thing that's missing from this franchise. Is that moment. And I think if you want up moving on from Breeze and Breeze decides to hang it up, I think he definitely is thinking about it a lot more. And there's a big reason why, at least to me, that he is going to be thinking about hanging it up before too long. And a lot of it has to do with what's going to happen over the last week. With, with Kobe Bryant's passing, I feel like a lot of people, especially the older quarterbacks, are rethinking their priorities a little bit more, are wanting to kind of spend more time with their family. At least that's, that's what I would think. I think we notice because I'll say this. I think Drew Brees wouldn't be talking about as much possible retirement over the last week. Is the Pro Bowl he was diving into it. The Pro Bowl he was talking a little bit about it. And I am just going to straight up tell you, I think that this is going to be the toughest decision the Saints have to make. It's either you want short-term success with maybe long-term ramifications to where you're not quite at that level, or you are basically saying, hey, we're going to wind up like taking an L for a few. We're going to wind up giving an opportunity to this guy that showed us what he can do, and he winds up putting up gobs of numbers, and he helps us get consistently good. He helps us keep the consistency going to where we're still winning 12-4, and 13-3 some years, 11-5 and five at worst. I think that's way better than, you know, Drew Brees one more year and you go 13-3, and win a Super Bowl, and then Drew Brees hangs it up, and then you put the franchise in the hands of a 32-year-old quarterback from BYU that feels like he's largely a Swiss Army knife. You take that Swiss Army knife out, you take that spark plug of the offense to where you can plug him in in any different spot and just put him in. Like Basically, you're taking your wild card in Uno, and you're saying you're pulling it away, and putting it into one spot and one spot only instead of like you're making you're turning the Uno into something else entirely. 
I think this is a big, big mistake if you're the Saints, if you're going to wind up taking that that one-year deal, one more go, and let Bridgewater go to wherever he's going to be. Because some people say Chicago. He could very well go to Carolina. He could very well go, very well go to Tampa Bay. Because there's a lot of spaces that are going to be open in 2020. That's the big thing that I am very, very concerned about is the future of the Saints. And I'm going to play one more clip before I kind of hit a commercial break. And it's actually Drew Brees talking about conflict with Hill in 2020. I haven't heard this clip, so I'm interested to see what hear what he has to say. But I'll be the first one to sit here and tell you that if, if, if I'm back and, and Taysom's there alongside me, Call the plays that are going to put us in the best position to win. Right. And if that means Taysom Hill is taking 30 snaps a game, 25 snaps a game, then so be it. Yeah. I'm all for that. I think that's all you can be. You need to be open to anything and everything. I think if you see Drew Brees out there next year, I people know me well enough to know that I love Drew Brees. Absolutely. Like, he is the man. But I think it's time for Drew Brees, probably a lot of other people, to kind of realize, maybe it's time to see what's on the other side of the of the divide. What's going to be happening next with Breezes? What's going to be happening with a lot of these other guys? What's going down down the line? That's going to be the big question a lot of us have. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Be back with more. And I'm going to talk about something a little bit different because I absolutely loved what I heard last night. I don't know if you caught it. With the Los Angeles Lakers and the Kobe tribute, who it caught you in your feels. Talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. You can call us up, 337-706-0111. Every time C.D. takes the mic, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with C.D. on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. I got something um, written down. You know, they asked me to kind of stay on course or whatever the case may be, but Laker Nation, man, I would be selling y'all short if I read off... Kobe is a brother to me and from the time I was in high school to watching him afar to getting this league at 18 watching him up close all the battles that we had throughout my career the one thing that we always shared is that determination to just want to win I just want to be great. And the fact that I'm here now means so much to me. I want to continue along with my teammates to continue his legacy, not only for this year, but as long as we can play the game of basketball that we love, because that's what Kobe Bryant will want. So in the words of Kobe Bryant, Mamba out, but in the words of us, not forgotten. Live on, brother. I can't believe that, like, last night after that speech, those two teams played a basketball game. Of course, talking about the Los Angeles Lakers and the Portland Trail Blazers. Just what a moment for LeBron James to where he just straight up kind of was like, was given a script, was given a format, and just basically threw it away. I don't blame him for doing that. I feel like that was absolutely amazing. And just the entire, like, Tribute to Kobe Bryant last night at the Staples Center was probably the most heart wrenching television you've probably ever seen. I'd, I'd recommend going out and finding videos. I know House of Highlights has a bunch of stuff on it right now on YouTube. The speech, mind you, the clip we had thankfully was a different feed of it because I watched it live on Cox. And they actually did not bleep out the S word to where like the four letter bomb was right there and you heard it live. And I was like, I was like, okay, this is awesome because you can just tell it was straight from the heart from, from LeBron James talking about Kobe Bryant at the beginning, right before pregame. Cause you had like the national anthem performed by boys to men, which seems like the fourth or fifth time I've heard that in the last month, but more power to him. 
But the other thing that kind of caught me off guard was like Amazing Grace performed by Usher was just ridiculously emotional for a lot of people. I kind of missed that because I was still watching the end of the Pels game. And my God, Zion Williamson was so good in that ball game. But that's a different story for a different day. Maybe the Louis Prejean podcast is going to talk about that next. But my big thing is when it comes to what happened last night with the Lakers pregame ceremony, it may have been probably the perfect tribute. And then the rest of the game like had a weird vibe to it. And then you saw the Trailblazers just win. Damian Lillard putting up a phenomenal performance. I think he wanted making history last night. All the way around, great game. But it's all about the pregame performance. I think everybody's been talking about that and what happened. The tribute for Kobe Bryant, the six-minute video package that they put together, like everything about it was perfect. And then watching the rest of the broadcast on the Four Letter Network while I'm kind of prepping the show, I was originally probably going to talk a lot about a little bit more about the Super Bowl here, but I said, you know what? I thought about it like minutes before the show got started. I need to talk about this because it's probably one of the best things I've seen from the NBA in a while. And one thing I think a lot of people know about me if they've ever hung around me is I'm not a LeBron fan. I'm not the LeBron fanboy like a lot of people are. I think it largely has to do with the fact of everything that happened with the decision. I had no problem with LeBron James prior to this to the decision. Honestly, I had no really lean e- either way. But what he did last night with that speech made me more of a LeBron fan than I ever was. Because I felt like everything that he said came from the heart, and it was perfect everything that he said it's a lot like when you hear somebody do a eulogy for a loved one you hear a lot of that stuff you hear some of the stories i wish we could have heard some of those stories the conversations between lebron and kobe but you know lebron probably wanted to hurry up and get all that done so he can get on the court and focus on that but it's been like a incredibly tough week for a lot of people i'm not gonna lie it's one of those moments where you remember where you were you're going to, like, five, ten years down the road, you're going to remember where you were, just like how you're going to remember September 11, 2001, where you were when that happened. 2009, and I think a lot of people can agree with me on this, when Michael Jackson passed away, you kind of remember where you were when that happened. I remember where I was. I was on my, back, on my way back from Houston, Texas, from catching an Astros midday game. On my way back, I hear it on the radio. Because back then, you know, Twitter wasn't necessarily as big of a thing. You know, I didn't have a smartphone at the time. So I wound up hearing it firsthand on the radio that Michael Jackson had just passed away. And they had wound up changing their programming entirely to be like all Michael Jackson all the time. The whole way back, we're hearing all these stories start pouring out. It's a lot like where you you were when you found out that Paul McCartney, uh, John Lennon, excuse me, not Paul McCartney, John Lennon passed away. You heard when you heard it on Monday Night Football. It's such a moment in time. It's a time capsule moment where you remember where you were. And I was at my house, kind of not really focusing on anything. I wasn't really wanting to kind of watch the Pro Bowl. I wasn't really focused on on, on sports that day. And all of a sudden, I get a text from of the TMZ link, and that like shook me because I'm like, wait a minute, what? Because the night before, LeBron James passes Kobe Bryant for third all time on the scoring list. And then that happens. It's like, what the hell's going on? And it puts you in a state of shock. And you remember where you were and what you were doing, just like September 11th, a lot of other moments in time where you just remember what was like for me personally. I think it's a lot like the day when I found out Tony Robichaud passed away. I can remember before I even found out, like pulling up here to the Delta Media Studios. And I felt something, like something was off. Something was wrong. Something was amiss with me. Something just didn't feel right with me. And then lo and behold, like 15 minutes later, I see, I believe it was an email, and I see Tony Robichaud passed away. And it hit me hard. If you remember that day, if you remember listening on July 3rd, that was one of the roughest days I've ever had on the air. I don't know how we pulled through it, but we did. And now, I can't wait for February 14th, 13 days away. 
for Cajuns baseball. Matt Deggs is going to have a great season. And I think I can't wait for the tributes to Robichaux. Because I think I think Friday night is going to be one of the most emotional nights I'll ever have as somebody covering the Cajuns or any other team. We'll be back after this hour two. Greg Peterson joining the program next. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. And get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome back. Hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD. It's a truncated second hour. We're going up to 1030, taking you up to LSU basketball, their pregame show before they take on the Ole Miss Rebels looking to improve to 8-0 in SEC play in the conference. It just needs more. I think this game is going to mean a lot more. But there's other games that we need to talk about, and without a doubt, we talk about it every single Saturday. Last Saturday, we weren't able to quite get to him, but it is what it is. We're looking forward to having him on today. He's on the game hotline right now. That is our college basketball guru, Greg Peterson. Greg, what's going on, my man? Clint, always great to join you, my friend. How are you? I am doing fantastic. We finally saw LSU get to the top 25 ranked and they take on Ole Miss. But just looking at the SEC in general, does it just feel like it's LSU's conference in the regular season to lose at this point? I think that's going to be fascinating to see what happens between them. And then you've got Auburn sort of lurking in the shadows. They've been solid all year long despite the – couple of road losses i think it's still wide open and who knows with kentucky as well it feels a lot like last year when lsu was able to win it but at the same time you had a lot of competitive teams you really did have a lot of competitive teams and i think you could definitely say the same but when when you saw lsu last wednesday against alabama after a lot of those closed ball games we could bring up the texas lsu game just this past saturday was a extremely tightly knit contest, and now we see the LSU Tigers. They're setting up for some really great things in 2020, and especially once you flip over the calendar to February, based off of how they performed against Alabama, putting up a big performance, thanks in large part to Emmett Williams. What can you say about LSU now versus what we were kind of looking at them a week ago? I think that this is an LSU team that just continues to ascend, and the big reason why is because I think I've mentioned it already a couple times. This team has a variety of different ways to win. And that's what you need in March because there are times where the jump shooting is going to be a little bit off. There's times where a big man gets into foul trouble. LSU is able to overcome so much of this. You've got a guy in Skylar Mays shoots over 40% from three. Javante Smart was a little bit of a hot mess with regards to keeping control of the ball at the beginning of the year. He has now done a great job of being able to limit the turnovers. Last couple of games notwithstanding, but he's been much better in that regard. This team locks down on defense, top 20 in regards to offensive efficiency. So I think that that's a big reason why LSU is set up for a deep run, just because this is a bunch that if they don't have one thing going on one night, they're able to turn to something else. It's it, I have to agree with you wholeheartedly. Talking about right now with Greg Peterson, part of VSIN, our college basketball guru. And, you know, I know you're spending way more time on, like, the spreads and the prop bets and everything in between when it comes to college basketball and sports in general nowadays. But if you were to put the bracketologist hat on for a hot minute, where do you see LSU at right here, right now, as the calendar starts to flip over to February and these games mean a whole lot more? This is one of these situations in which you really need to take a look at how these teams are playing in regards to just like last five, because I feel like we've seen so many shifts with regards to teams at the beginning of the year, because we saw Kentucky lose to Evansville at the beginning of the year. Seems like they're beginning to fire on all cylinders. They had that loss against South Carolina, but with that said, they were able to overcome that, and it was really one of those situations in which if it wasn't for a bank three right now, they'd be in a little bit of better shape. But I think that the SEC has a chance to be able to get a lot of teams into the NCAA tournament, but you have to be concerned about some of these bottom feeders maybe 
dragging down the conference. We expected a lot more out of Vanderbilt. Now without Aaron Neesmith, this team is a hot mess. South Carolina feels like every single year hurts this team with regards to their non-conference weight. And then when they get in conference, they just wind up getting a bunch of wins like we saw against Kentucky. And then you've got a Texas A&M team that's been running in a form. So what I think is really important for the SEC is that the top teams continue to win. And then you sort of have those bottom teams continuing to lose, for lack of a better term, for as many bids as possible for the NCAA tournament. Without a doubt in my mind, I think that's definitely one of the big things you're having to kind of look at if you're LSU is to see some of these bottom feeders and what could wind up happening. There's some trap games down the line for LSU, but I want to flip over. Instead of just talking solely about Louisiana, let's go back to your side of the coast right now and talk about San Diego State 22-0. and They're taking on Utah State tonight. A little bit of a uh, Pac-12-esque after dark. It's not quite Pac-12, but it's definitely pretty darn good with San Diego State unbeaten throughout the season. The, one of the only teams left in the in the entire world of college basketball that's going to be unbeaten. What do you say about San, the Aztecs and what they've been able to do? By the way, not one of the only ones, the only one right okay. now. They are the only undefeated team in college basketball. And the reason why they've been able to do it, efficient guard play and good defense. They have not allowed more than 70 points in a game since the beginning of December. I think they've allowed more than 70 just once this year. And that was to an Iowa team that, let's face it, they're pretty good, darn good on offense. And with this Utah State team, they're a little bit interesting because they got off to a little bit of a rough start. They're without name as Cape Town to begin the year. Sam Merrill, when I watched him play against UNLV, a loss for the team, he didn't look like his normal self. And we saw San Diego State go on the road against Utah State. Utah State just didn't look whole. Now they do. This is a Utah State team that has been battle-tested. And I still recall last year when they wound up making their run to the NCAA tournament, it's because they turned it on late. From January 12th on, they've lost one game prior to the NCAA tournament. What I'm very intrigued to see is San Diego State, a team without Nathan Menza, how are they going to do on the glass against Justin Bean and also name is Kate? I think that they're going to be able to hold up the AI center, absolutely raucous environment, but we see San Diego State get tested. They had to hit a buzzer beater against San Jose State, a team that's very lowly already to begin the year. So I think that this is a game that San Diego State should win, but like you said, it should be a barn burner. It should be a barn burner. Looking forward to that one. But before we kind of flip things over, because I want to spend some time on the prop bets in the world of world of Super Bowl. Obviously, that's what everybody's looking forward to this weekend. But I want to get to something that we haven't necessarily talked about as much in the last year or so, and that is, without a doubt, your Wisconsin Badgers. You're living in Vegas now, but you're you're from Wisco. What do you say about those Badgers? Because I saw a tweet you put out the other night that had me in stitches. You talking about them a low-scoring heartbreaker, about as good of a representation as you'll get in a game against Iowa, where they want to putting up a twenty-three to five run at the end. What do you say about Wisco right now? Oh, this is a team that it just has not been going well for them. And now they've had two guards wind up being either suspended or leaving the team. Brad Davison is currently suspended from this bunch. And then when you take a look at Brevin Pritzel, another guy that was able to come off the bench and was able to give the team some production, he has decided to leave the program. This is a team that's in all sorts of disarray. They're going to be having to go on the road against Michigan State. I will say that the future is looking bright. They've got a very good recruiting class coming in for 2021, but right now, they have no rebounding to speak of. Nobody's averaging more than six rebounds per game. It's a team that is now missing two of their top guards. Just a rudderless bunch, in my opinion. And don't we see it in football, basketball, what sport you have? It's always Wisconsin playing a bunch of low-scoring games at the beginning of the year, getting off to a good start. And then when they get into a big game, they have a lead. And then, boom, they blow it. That is the life of a Wisconsin sports fan. Talking with our guy Greg Peterson, and I know obviously nowadays you definitely spend a lot more time just in spreads in general and prop bets and everything in between. So I want to have a little fun here, go through some of these prop bets involving the Super Bowl going on tomorrow. And the first one I'm going to start off with is always the more fun one, just to kind of see where you where where you where you lie on this one. First off, the length of national anthem sung by Demi Lovato over under two minutes and three seconds. Oh, I have absolutely no handle on the national anthem, but Demi Lovato likes to hold those long notes, so we're going to take it over, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
who doesn't love that? But, man, you know, obviously one of the big things everybody's talking about is which player will score the first touchdown in the game. Way too many people to mention, but here's the top three, like the, the lowest odds, basically. Raheem Mostert, plus 600. George Kittle, plus 850. And Matt Breida, plus 1,100. I would have to go with Mostert just because I do think that the 49ers are going to run the ball. I think that their best chance of winning is to make it a little bit of a slower game, keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. So we're going to go with Mostert on this one. Will Tom Brady be mentioned? This is coming from betonline.ag. Now, I wonder if this means Tom Brady being mentioned during the game, during the seven hours of pregame show they got going on. Is it just on Fox? Is it just on Westwood 1? I think I think we can definitely say at one point the name Tom Brady will be mentioned on Sunday. At what point or how many times? It's just will Tom Brady be mentioned at all? I'm, I'm assuming this is going to mean during the game. Oh, just hammer the yes on that one. Of course. How can you not just put that one in there? Talking about Greg Peterson with Vison. And I, I need to bring this up. This is going to be really fun just to see if this happens. Will there be a flea flicker attempted in the game? And right now the yes is plus 260, no minus 420. Where are you leaning on that one? Oh, you got to go with no. I just think that it's too specific of a play. I mean, you could, could certainly see some trick plays and everything like that. But think about the NFL that you watch. In one of four games, you see a flea flicker run. Absolutely not. you got to be going no, even though you'd have to be laying down $420 to get back 100 That actually seems quite safe. A couple more here with Greg Peterson. Let's get to what matters the most when it comes to some of these prop bets. Who will record more receiving yards, Tyreek Hill or Debo Samuel? I would have to go with Tyreek Hill. I think that he's going to be able to bust off a couple big gainers, Samuel. He certainly is a guy that's probably going to get a couple more looks, but I think that just with the breakaway speed of Tyreek Hill, he has the chance to get more yards. And let's go to the Super Bowl 54 MVP odds, and of course I'll go with the lowest three odds. Pat Mahomes plus 115, Jimmy Garoppolo plus 275, and Raheem Mostert plus 550. Who you got? I'm going to go with Mostert. I think that the 49ers win this game. I think they do a good job of being able to slow this game down. I think that Mostert is going to have to step up big. Tevin Coleman is going to play in this game, but he's going to be banged up. So that means that you're going to be seeing a whole lot of him. And I think that this is really going to be his coming out party if he hasn't had one already. All right, what color will the Gatorade be that gets poured on the winning coach? And, I'm again, the bottom three odds, purple, minus 130, red, plus 300, lime green, yellow, all combined in there, plus 450. We've seen a sharp line move, ironically enough, on red. This opened up at a couple books at plus 750. What you just read off, plus 300. A lot of people are saying because both these teams have red in their color that that's going to be the one. But being a kid, I always liked yellow Gatorade personally. I remember when the Patriots won the, won the Super Bowl, or the Eagles won the Super Bowl against the Patriots a couple years ago. They had yellow Gatorade. I think it's just a kid favorite. We're going to go with yellow. I'm gonna, I, I like yellow a lot as well. I, I think we can all agree. Thankfully, it's not like what we saw all during bowl season where you had a tropical smoothie bowl getting the smoothie dumped on you. Not like, I think it was maybe the, it was one of the bowl games I remember they dumped like chicken on them. It was very weird. Yeah, that is quite odd to say the least. Yeah, but Greg, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week and spend a lot more time on college basketball. Awesome. Always a pleasure, Quinn. Thank you. All right, that was Greg Peterson of V-Center, college basketball guru also. In terms of entertainment purposes only, you can definitely enjoy some conversation about what's causing all this, and that is Super Bowl prop bets. We're going to take a quick timeout and wrap up the show with a nice little bow. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. Fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And with LSU taking on Ole Miss in about another like 45 minutes or so, actually 40 minutes on the dot right about now, I want to throw this out there because I saw this pop up last night on the Twitter sphere and I am all the way for this, people. And I want to get, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. You can hit me up on Twitter at Clint Doming or hit up the show account at Under the Dome CD. And hey, guess what? We got an email as well. I'm going to try and figure out ways to incorporate a little Under the Dome mailbag. You can hit us up under the dome at, actually, excuse me, under the dome CD at gmail.com. You can hit us up that way as well. That's how we're going to do things now. I think we're going to wind up having like a lot of different venues to hit us up and view our content when it comes to Under the Dome with CD. This thing is going big time. But I saw this pop up last night on Twitter. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Sharif O'Neal, Shaquille O'Neal's son, out there, made an official visit to LSU. And he's out there rocking the jersey, the LSU jersey. Obviously, he transferred from UCLA. I think this was a couple weeks ago. So he transferred out. Now there's a possibility, at least, you know, the son of Shaq could be back in Baton Rouge, possibly playing for the LSU Tigers. He's not committed. He put hashtag not committed. But if this happens, I am all in for it. I think Sharif O'Neal could very well be like the big piece this team needs to want to make it a little bit further of a run. Because I think this year they're setting themselves up quite nicely for another Sweet 16 run. But I think Will Wade and crew want to get a little bit further, a little bit further, get back to the things way things were back when John Brady was running things, and he got that team to a Final Four run with Glenn Big Baby Davis back in the 05-06 season. Because I can vividly remember that. I think I was in um, Fort Walton that weekend whenever they were in the Final Four because I had some family friends over in that area. I was able to kind of go see them for a weekend. Really cool stuff to say the least, but just awesome thinking Sharif O'Neal could potentially be an LSU Tiger is really awesome. But then we also had some news kind of pop up a little bit earlier today. I saw this pop up from uh, Tim Buckley, in fact, during the commercial break involving the Cajuns. This National Signing Day gets close. Jordan Lawson, a Brandon Mississippi High School defensive lineman, committing to the Cajuns. Once again, uh, National Signing Day coming up. On 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 February fifth, so we're just a few short days away, and we're starting to see things kind of come into come into place, and we see what's going to be going on with those LS with those Raging Cages and LSU Tigers, where they're going to wind up in the final rankings. Is anybody's guess the Cages? I feel like they're not quite going to be first in the Sun Belt, but they're making steps in the right direction with guys like Kyron Lacey in there. And last year's class is so good, we haven't even seen the full potential of it yet. I think that's the biggest thing that makes me want to just see this program succeed in 2020 and beyond. But, you know, that's not what I want to talk about with my last take of the show. Now, now goes the fun part, because I can talk about something that I've been dying to discuss. And it's weird to think about we're talking about baseball in the month of January or February now, because it's the first of the month. Wake up, wake up, Clint. It's time for that last take. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. People have heard me all week complain about one thing and one thing only, that is the sheer audacity of the Houston Astros signing off Dusty Baker as their new manager. It's a one-year deal. My thing is, I'm willing to give him a chance. I may not be a big fan of the hire, but I'm willing to give him a chance. It's a short leash, though, Leash though for me. He's got a short leash. Because I think, you know, it's one of those things. Maybe a little bit of ageism, a little bit for me, but I think it's the fact that I constantly think about Dusty Baker, what he did to certain pitchers' arms, like a Max Scherzer. I don't want to see that happen to a Justin Verlander. I don't want to see that happen to a lot of other pitchers in that lineup, in that bullpen, because the bullpen's already kind of shot anyways, because a lot of these guys, 
they had last year. They moved on to different things. Will Harris, former LSU Tiger, over to the Nats. Are you kidding me? I think the Astros' window of opportunity is rapidly closing because of the fact you don't have a true third guy that I'm 100% sold on. Because Zach Greinke, I'm even then I'm not necessarily certain he could wind up being a game-in-a-game-out stud. Last season was definitely paw ball for him, but could we wind up seeing him step his game up? We shall see. But when it comes to Dusty Baker and the hiring of the former Giants, former Cubs, former Nationals manager, also spent some time with the Cincinnati Reds, which honestly doesn't say much, he's had a lot of success. We can't we can't take that away from him. He's had a lot of success, but he's never been able to quite get over the hump and get a World Series. Couldn't do it in San Francisco with him, uh, the big head Barry Bonds. You were a Steve Bartman away from making it to the World Series with the Chi-Town Cubs, and then the Marlins want to put in that one, and you never heard from that franchise again in terms of relevance. But when it comes to Dusty Baker and his future as the general, as a manager, as a skipper for the Houston Astros, I better not see like what happened with guys like Scherzer. And we see pitchers banged up in the month of September. That's where I'm at. Also, I think Dusty Baker, I like what I heard from an introductory press conference, but make sure you live up to the expectations. Make sure you know what's going on in the world of analytics because if you don't, it's going to be a real struggle in 2020 because it's not the world that Dusty Baker was in back in the 2000s where the only team really using analytics and money ball tactics were the Oakland A's. After all, they, they came up with the idea. Analytics are used everywhere. I don't want to see him use those numbers to figure out what's going to happen and how to set yourself up for a lot of success in the future. Because this is a short-term thing. This is probably a one- or two-year deal. If Dusty Baker gets that World Series in his first year, he is out the door. Find somebody else after the season's over. Move on. And then you can start to set yourself up for better passes. Thankfully, they didn't try and get a retread like a Bo Porter whose name I actually heard for the first time in forever earlier today. That being said, appreciate everybody for listening in on this Saturday morning slash almost afternoon. I'll be back with you next Saturday. Same bad time as we normally are. 10 a.m. to noon right here on 103.7 The Game. But we got the LSU Tigers getting ready for action in just a few minutes. Pre-game at 10.30, tip-off 11. We'll bring that to you in a little bit. Once again, thanks for listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game.